What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Sean Jones NBA Show. I'm recording this on Thursday night, June 22nd. So this is the night before the 2023 NBA draft. So that is what we're going to cover today. We actually uh, did have a trade go down today with uh, Kristaps Porzingis going to the Celtics, but I'm going to save that for the next pod. Um, So with that, we're going to get into my NBA draft preview. I'm going to talk through who's going to be a bust, who's going to be a role player, and who's going to be an all-star. And then I will call out a few non-lottery players that I uh, particularly like. So uh, with that, let's get right into it. So starting off with how the format's going to go for this. So if you don't recall from what I did last year, I pulled some data on previous year's lottery pick. So I dated back to the year 2009 and I looked at how many all-stars are there usually in the lottery? How many role players are there normally in the lottery and how many busts are there in the lottery? People get so obsessed with picks and they love picks and especially lottery picks and teams will trade proven guys for uh, a middling lottery pick that is a truly an unknown. Uh, And in reality, it's not true that all these guys are going to be stars. In fact, if you look at since 2009, there have been, on average, under four all-stars per lottery, about 3.6. In that same span, we've had about 5.8 busts per lottery, so around six each time. That's almost half of the prospects. There's only 14 players taken each lottery. So half of these players that everyone is hyping up for weeks now are going to end up being total nobodies and won't even make it in the league. And then that leaves about four and a half on average among players that'll be a role player. So role player could mean anything. It could mean a guy who has a very nice career as a backup and uh, plays eight to 10 years in the league, but doesn't do anything special. Or it could mean someone like a CJ McCollum or a Jamal Murray, uh, for example, guys who have not made all-star teams, Um, But for the purpose of this exercise, they're classified as role players just because there's not really any way to judge um, who's a star and who's not objectively without using an accolade such as an all-star. But in terms of how I qualified what a bust means, so I looked at the win shares stat uh, that is on basketballreference.com. This is actually a cumulative stat, so it adds up over the span of your career. So not only does this stat take into account the quality of the player you are, but it also takes into account longevity because you could have three really good years, but if you only play three years, your win share total is not going to be that high. Or you could be a pretty solid player, nothing special, but play for 12 years and it will start to accumulate. So um, the way I did it is just players that on average have accumulated at least two win shares per season. Uh, And that's kind of how I did the math. So two win shares a season since 2009. So just going from 2009, that year there were seven busts, three role players, and four all-stars. 2010, we had five busts, five role players, four all-stars. 2011, we had four busts, seven role players, three all-stars. 2012, we had seven busts, three role players, four all-stars. 2013... This was a very lo- bad draft, uh, especially in the lottery. So only one all-star this year, 
um, but only five busts, so eight uh, role players that turned out from that one. Then 2014, we had five busts, five role players, four all-stars. 2015, we had seven busts, three role players, four all-stars. Um, then 2016, we had seven busts, three role players, four all-stars. 2017, this is one of the higher years in terms of busts. There was eight busts this season. Only one role player, but five all-stars. So this was very hit-or-miss uh, lottery in particular. 2018, we had four busts, six role players, four all-stars. 2019, five busts, six role players, and three all-stars. I actually stopped the sample size there because I only wanted to include players who had been in the league long enough to establish themselves. So guys that have gotten onto their second contract already and the 2019 class is the cutoff there. We've got guys like Cam Johnson, for example, who are restricted free agents currently, PJ Washington as well. Um, the guys who are in the 2020 class and more recently, those guys are all still on their rookie contract. So I didn't want to necessarily call them busts quite yet and also i wanted to give them the chance to make an all-star team for example it's pretty rare that a guy makes an all-star team his first two seasons so that might skew the stats a little bit um but with that being said i am going to go down the projected lottery for this season um i'm basing this lottery uh projection and mock draft based on the vegas odds for where these players are actually most likely to be selected. Um, and then I'll just go through each of them and label them. Do I think they'll be an all-star? Do I think they'll be a bust? Or do I think they'll be just a fine player? And I'm going to try to get as close as I can to those averages. So for this lottery, I have six projected busts, five projected role players, and three projected all-stars. And I also want to call out that particularly... In the top three, there's almost always one bust. So going back to 2009, Hashim Thabit busts second overall. 2010, Evan Turner taken second, busts. 2011, Derek Williams second overall, bust. 2012, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist second overall, bust. <laughs> A lot of second overalls. Uh, 2013, Anthony Bennett first overall, bust. 2014, Jabari Parker second overall, bust. 2015, Jalil Okafor third overall, bust. 2016 was the rare case where not only was there no bust, but they're actually all three of them made all-star games. That's Ben Simmons, Brandon Ingram, and Jalen Brown. However, <laughs> you could argue that Ben Simmons was a bust. So um, that one, uh, I know he did get the all-star, but it, it's debatable. And it's also an outlier in general. But 2017, there was actually two busts in the top three, Markel Fultz and Lonzo Ball. Uh, Lonzo, unfortunately, was on track to be at least a role player, but due to his injuries... Uh, he just hasn't played enough to not get rid of that bust label. And I want to also preface bust. It can mean a number of things. It could mean that you just never were that good. It also could mean you just had too short of a career to be worth uh, that top pick. So for him, it's unfortunate. But uh, at this point of his career, we don't even know if he's going to play again. So you'd have to call him a bust considering he went second overall. 2018, second overall, Mark uh, Marvin Bagley was a bust. And then 2019, this is the other outlier where we don't actually have a bust in the top three with Zion, John, RJ, but <laughs> you've seen a lot of memes recently about this top three and how they certainly have their own issues. And look, if Zion ends up having a short career, he could be labeled a bust. If Ja doesn't get his shit together, he might be labeled a bust. Also, RJ is not quite good enough to for sure 
avoid the bus title. But as of right now, he's played well enough to avoid it based on the um, threshold for win shares that I uh, did call out earlier. But moving on to the projected picks for the 2023 draft. Obviously, the projected first overall pick is Victor Wembenyama. If you don't know that, you've probably been living under a rock or just not paying much attention to the NBA and therefore probably not listening to this podcast. But um, I honestly, I feel like I don't even really need to spend that much time on Wemby because everybody knows what kind of prospect he is. I mean, he he's about seven foot five. He projects as a center, but uh, I actually think he might benefit early on from playing with another big just because of how thin his, his frame is at only around 220 pounds for a seven foot five guy. He actually made a joke recently about how everyone's always talking about bulking up and maybe people need to skinny up, (laughs) but he's from France. He's most recently played with the Metropolitans 92. He's been widely regarded as one of the greatest prospects of all time. If not the greatest of all time, a total can't miss kind of guy. Um, even though he's seven, five, he has the handles of a point guard, basically. Um, He's a ridiculous shot blocker and rim protector around the basket. Not only does he have great instinct there, but he's just so unbelievably long and tall. And so he can bother shots even when he's not blocking them. Just uh, make guys think twice about coming into the paint against him. Not only can he shoot from the outside, but he can also shoot off the dribble. And maybe unlike any other seven-footer we've seen in the history of the NBA, outside of maybe uh, peak Dirk Nowitzki, um, but even guys like Yao Ming, he was massive and he could shoot, but it was really more mid-range and it was also more of a um, a spot-up shot that he would get in an isolation situation. Whereas Mbembe's pulling up off the dribble, he's shooting one-legged fade three-pointers we've seen him make. And so people have said that they think he will be one of the best players in the league almost immediately. We have saw some pretty ridiculous reports, um, particularly from people at ESPN, and that the Spurs could potentially become an instant playoff contender with him. And look, the stats are there. The film is there. He passes the eye test, and he seems like an awesome guy that works super hard. I was listening to um, a segment today, actually, that Brian Windhorst uh, had talking about him, just saying that this guy's been training his whole life for this exact moment. He even went as far as to make sure that when he learned English, he did it without a French accent so he could better relate to the American community when he inevitably went to the NBA. So clearly this guy has (laughs) set his life goal to play in the NBA and he's about to get it. But with all that said, I'm a bit skeptical in that he's as sure of a thing as everyone says. Uh, I think he's going to be good. Not what I'm saying, that he isn't going to be good. Um, And it's not that I don't think we can have sure things in this league, but his body type is extremely unique, and we have not seen many players of that size be able to play big minutes and have long careers. It just hasn't really happened. And I've heard of some people saying, oh, well, Anthony Davis was that then when he came into the league. Well, he's about six inches taller than AD is, so it's not (laughs) entirely the same. We haven't really seen anybody his size even be a good player before outside of Yao Ming. And we obviously know how his career went. He broke down um, pretty young and did not have a very long NBA career. And I had these similar concerns with Chet Holmgren, example, for last year because they do have similar body types. 
Um, but even uh, though Wemby does have a little bit more meat on his bones, he's also a bit taller, so uh, that evens out a little bit. And if I'm going to nitpick part of his game overall, because that's what I'm going to do today is nitpick these guys, um, he averaged more turnovers per game than he did assists, so I would like to see him improve a little bit as a playmaker um, if he wants to be that dominant guy that we think he can be. But I do think he's super young, and this part of his game will probably come along. We've seen guys such as Kevin Durant, who were not great playmakers at the beginning of their career when they came in to the league, um, but then turned into a really good passer and playmaker and now averages close to six or seven per game. So he also has not been honestly super efficient. I mean, he shot 27% from three this past year. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he shot around that in the first couple of years in the NBA. So I don't project him as some knockdown shooter, at least not right away. And he honestly was only 55% from two point range, which is not great considering his size. I think, I think a lot of that is because he takes a lot of mid range uh, shots which I think he'd be better served going to the basket a little bit more and cutting out some of those two-point shots. But overall, I'm not really concerned with this shot because I think a lot of his shot selection has been shots off the dribble. Um, so obviously that's going to hurt your shot percentage uh, overall. Also, he hit 82% of his free throws, uh, which is always a good indicator of um, long-term shot making, particularly from outside. So obviously, I'm going to project Wembenyama as an all-star. Um, but I'm just saying that I'm hesitant to go as far as other people have in saying that he's going to be some all-time player. I just have some slight concerns with his body type. And look, I don't think there's many concerns about how he'll play as a player if he plays. Like when he's healthy, I think this guy could average 18 and 10 basically right away in the NBA, especially considering he's going to go to the Spurs where they don't really have a lot of other guys on that team that can score. So he's going to get a lot of shot attempts. Um, but I just want to make sure I see that he can play 70 games in a season before I go so far as to say that I guarantee he will be a 10 time all-star for example, just cause I think that's ridiculous for anyone. We're setting him up to have these absurd, absurd, unrealistic expectations and hey maybe he turns into a seven-time all-star very solid player has a career like a LaMarcus Aldridge very worthy of a uh, number one overall pick but it'll be looked at as a failure because of the hype he got so I, I just want to temper expectations a bit but I do think he will be an all-star in this league next we will move to the projected number two overall pick to the Hornets and that is Brandon Miller so just to give some background on him, he is a 6'9 uh, freshman, played at Alabama this past year. Uh, he had a very impressive stat line at Alabama this year. Uh, averaged 19 points a game, 8 rebounds, 2 assists. Um, and he shot the lights out of the ball in college. 38% from 3 on 7.5 attempts per game. He was also 86% from the free throw line. Uh, so I think that that shot's going to translate really well. Uh, there, it's actually been shown that free throw percentage is a little bit of a better indicator of long-term three-point percentage in the NBA than three-point shooting is in college because three-point shooting is just a smaller sample. 
and free throw has a little bit more about is your form good? Are you making it more consistently? And things along those lines. But he has the size to shoot over smaller wing defenders. He also did a pretty good job of getting to the free throw line, almost five attempts per game. And he showed the ability to drive the ball to the basket pretty effectively. Um, he also rebounded super well, as I said, almost uh, eight and a half a game. And he was overall a very plus defender for Alabama. He has a pretty nice shot prof shot profile overall as well as he doesn't take a ton of mid-range shots mostly just threes and shots in the paint Uh, and he had some really big time performances as a freshman for Alabama this season he was arguably the best player in the country for the most of the season on the team that was the best in the country for most of the season so he's got a lot of green flags for the modern NBA so I, I completely understand why he is a consensus top three pick but he obviously does have his, his cons. He came up very small late in the season for Alabama. He was a complete shell of himself in the NCAA tournament. He didn't make a single field goal in the first round, and he averaged single-digit points overall. He also had a negative assist-to-turnover ratio, so he had more turnovers on the year than he did assists. So he really was not much of a distributor at all at the collegiate level. And considering his shot profile, I really would have liked him to have a higher two-point percentage. He didn't shoot a ton of mid-range, but he still was only 48% from two-point range. You'd like to see that above 50% for someone who's taking mostly shots at the basket uh, within the three-point arc. His athleticism also doesn't really jump off the screen. Um, He's also one of the oldest freshmen in the country. He's almost 21, which is kind of bizarre for someone who only was a one-and-done. And that's not a huge deal, but it's obviously one extra year of development that's gone. He's also very frail for a guy who's 6'9". He's only 200 pounds. Um, And I've also heard that he's not interviewed particularly well with teams thus far in that uh, part of the draft process. Not to mention the whole weird murder thing hanging over his head where his uh, former teammate allegedly murdered someone and he was somehow like related he gave him the gun or something I, I the details were fuzzy and he ended up not getting really in trouble for anything but i think there's definitely some real question marks about this guy's character and it especially makes more sense when you hear that he hasn't been particularly good in the interview process but overall i am a bit lower on brandon miller than the consensus i think it would be a mistake to take him over scoot henderson And unfortunately, it's high odds that one of the top three picks will be a bust. I went through it earlier, and pretty much exactly one is a bust every single year. We know it's not going to be Wemby, so it really comes down to Scoot or Miller. Uh, And to me, I I think Miller's the guy here. So I got to pick him as the bust, just given a lot of the things I said. He's a little um, frail for his size. He wasn't particularly efficient inside the three-point arc. And I have real questions about him as a uh, character guy in the NBA and how hardworking he might be. So, But moving on to Scoot Henderson at number three. He's been the topic of many discussions just because the Blazers have been reportedly open to maybe moving this pick. Uh, I personally think that they're going to stand pat and just use this pick on Scoot and that Dame might eventually ask out. But regardless, Scoot Henderson is six foot two, 195. Um just to put in perspective, he's seven inches shorter than Brandon Miller, but only five less pounds. So he certainly has a, 
uh, very impressive frame. He's 19 years old, and he played the last two years for the G League Ignite team. He had a slightly down year this year compared to last year in the uh, G League, but he was still very good overall. He averaged 18 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, 1.2 steals, shot 44% from the field, 32% from three, 75% from the line. And Scoo is one of the best athletes in this draft. I mean, he can fly to the rim. He's got an insanely quick first step, and he is elite at decelerating. And he's really quick. He gets up and down the court uh, faster than almost anyone in this draft. Uh, on top of that, he's one of the best passers and playmakers in the draft. He averaged almost seven assists per game this past season, and he has the second highest assist to turnover ratio among everyone projected to go in the first round. And he has by far the highest assist rate among the first round picks. Uh, he's got a just phenomenal feel for the game and great uh, vision on the court. So while his turnovers were a little bit high, I think that's mostly just a byproduct of him constantly having the ball in his hands and making plays for others, as he did have a, a pretty high usage rate as well. Scoot also loves the short mid-range. He was in the 99th percentile for mid-range scoring, um, and he also doesn't force bad shots in that area, and he relies on his playmaking for others to pass out if he's um, covered and should not shoot. He also played against very high-level competition in the G League, uh, playing against other professional players. So we saw him go head-to-head, even versus Wembenyama, and it was a very, very legit argument as to who the best player on the floor was. Also, everything you hear about this guy is that he just lives in the gym. He's one of those first guys in, last guys to leave players, and it seems like he just has a phenomenal work ethic. As I mentioned earlier, he has an NBA-ready body. We've often seen players come out at his age, at only 19, and they need to put on a little extra muscle and maybe some mass. But Scoot looks like he's <laughs> been in the league for five years with uh, the kind of body he has. And all in all, Scoot projects extremely well in a lot of very important areas in the modern NBA. He is a great playmaker for others. His shot selection is good. He's got bas- good basketball IQ. Uh, he's got elite athleticism and NBA-ready body, and he at least has one area on the court in which he's elite at scoring at. In terms of some of his downsides, uh, everyone knows he's not a phenomenal shooter. He was only 32% from three this past year, and his free throw percentage is pretty average, around 75, so it's hard to tell how projectable his shot is in terms of long-term improvement. But I will say there's been a lot of players similar to him in the past um, that weren't great shooters uh, coming in as NBA prospects, but they ended up being just fine. Guys like Russell Westbrook, John Morant, John Wall, all these guys improved their shot to at least a respectable level at some point in their career. But also they just leaned into their strengths uh, in other parts of their games and were able to still be dominant guys in the league. Also, despite Scoot's elite athleticism, he gets to the line at a pretty alarmingly low rate. He only attempted just under three free throws a game at 2.9. And he had the second lowest free throw rate among the top 20 prospects. So this likely likely tells us that he's not super comfortable driving to the basket and absorbing contact. I don't know if that's a contact thing or just because he's smaller, he gets uh, deterred and is more comfortable settling for the mid-range. But, I mean, this isn't the end of the world. We've seen some elite players like Chris Paul also similarly shy away from going to the basket too much. But I think moving forward, you'd like to see him do that a little bit more, especially given the strength and athleticism that we know he does have. 
Scoot also is kind of an average defensive prospect at best. I mean, he was along, among the lowest in terms of prospects in the first round in steal and block percentage, so stocks. And that's even with him averaging 1.2 steals per game. He also averaged more fouls a game than he did total stocks per game. So that means he might be taking too many gambles on the defensive end or just being late on assignments or whatever that may be. And I don't want to read too much into this, though, because he is still only 19, and he has the physical tools to be a really good defender. So I think in the right situation, if he's slightly more engaged on that end, he might uh, not only be at, at the minimum an average defender, but could turn into a very good defender. But overall, I really, really like Scoot as a prospect. Uh, I really value his playmaking ability. He's got an NBA-ready body. I love that we've seen him play against some really tough competition, both in the G League and against Wembenyama, and he performed at a very high level against all of them. I think all of his biggest flaws are things that he can definitely be worked on, and we've seen it uh, among players in the past comparable to him. I also really love everything I've heard in terms of his work ethic and the kind of guy, um, just a guy who like gives a shit and wants to be better and cares about winning and things like that. So because of all of this, I am projecting Scoot to be an all-star level player, um, joining Wembenyama as one of the all-stars in the lottery this year. Up next, at number four, we have Amen Thompson, who is projected to go to the Rockets. And honestly, they have very similar games, so I'm just going to clump Amen and Azar Thompson together, the, the two twins that are both projected to go in the top six. I have Azar projected to go number six to the Magic um, based on where the Vegas odds are right now. But basically, both of these two players, uh, the Twins, they both played for the Overtime Elite League. Um, And this is basically a special league in Atlanta, Georgia, that is set up for 16 to 20-year-olds to be able to play professionally. Um, Both of these guys are uh, roughly six foot seven. Amen playing a little bit more of a ball handler role and being um, a little bit leaner, whereas Azar is uh, more of a wing player and has about five extra pounds uh, of uh, bulk on him. In terms of their stats, they had nearly identical stats, which is pretty funny considering they're identical twins. But they both averaged 16 points a game. They both had six to seven rebounds, um, around six assists per game, um, and both uh, a little over three turnovers per game. In terms of what they're good at, both of them proved to be rather impressive in terms of distributors, especially for their size at 6'7". Both of them had um, very good assist-to-turnover ratios, um, both close to 2, and they were both impressive defensively, specifically with getting steals. They both averaged around 2.5 steals uh, per game, which is super high, obviously. So they um, have really good vision and creation ability, obviously. Um, They're both super long and athletic athletes uh, and some of the best athletes in the whole draft, especially when you pair it with the size they have on the wing. Um, And uh, athletically-wise and just eye test-wise, they really stood out while playing for overtime elite. I mean, they are elite, elite athletes. Um, They were just uh, a force to be reckoned with out there. Um, And mostly just because of the kind of athletes they are paired with their size and their playmaking ability. So they were certainly standouts in this league. But, um, and probably the the biggest knock on both of these guys as prospects is they're just awful shooters. I mean, Ahmed shot 23% from three. Azar wasn't much better at only 30% on slightly higher volume. And that didn't stop them from continuing to shoot out there. 
Um, which makes you wonder a little bit about their shot selection because they did take a good amount of threes despite not being effective. To go along with that, both of them shot in the mid-60s from the free throw line. So as I said earlier, free throw line is a really good indicator of long-term shooting ability. So it's really not encouraging to see that they didn't shoot well at either level. And their jump shots look pretty broke overall. Um, they have a really long way to go with shooters in this league. And I, I definitely worry that teams will completely sag off of them and not even remotely respect them as shooters out on the court. Uh, they were both also a little higher uh, in terms of turnovers. They both easily average about three per game, which is definitely high. I mean, that would be among the league leaders uh, in the NBA as well. And while they both do play very hard on defense, um, and they have great seal numbers to show for it, but they can definitely be a little bit of gamblers on the defensive end of time, which can help you get some steals, but overall it's not always the most effective. Um, and it can come back to bite you, and it is obviously uh, not the best, especially when you're playing against high IQ initiators. But overall, none of that is even the biggest concern for me. Obviously the shooting is concerning for them, but I'm really, really, really concerned with the competition they went up against. I don't think people quite understand what the overtime elite league really is in terms of level of competition. This is a league for 16 to 20 year olds. Uh, and both these guys are 20 years old. So they're on the higher end and they're going to be 21 by the time next season ends. So that means they were easily among the oldest players in this league. And sometimes by a solid four years, just to put into perspective, the fifth leading scorer for the entire season for the Overtime Elite League was a guy named Jaden Quintance. Jaden Quintance averaged 17 points per game. That is more than both of the Thompson Twins. And <laughs> Jaden Quintance is 15 years old currently. <laughs> so they're, they're literally playing against 15-year-olds and getting outscored by 15-year-olds. I just don't find it impressive that these 20-year-olds were beating up on teenagers. And I don't even know if you want to say they were beating up on teenagers considering they're only averaging 16 points a game and they can't make a shot from the outside. They certainly were not dominating this league um, if they're getting outscored by a 15-year-old. So I just don't know how, how you could have any confidence in drafting a player in the top five when the highest level of basketball we've seen them play in is against guys that have their learner's permits. Um, so because of that, I think both of the Thompson twins will be busts. They look like great athletes that play hard on defense and can make some good decisions offensively. But all those things can be relative to the competition you're playing against. Uh, and the one thing that's really not relative to who you're playing against and translates against pretty much all leagues is shooting. And that's the one thing they're the worst at. So, I think they're pretty raw prospects from a skill set perspective, and I am just terrified at the idea of spending a top five pick on a, a guy who's playing against teenagers. So with that, I, I do have them both as busts. But up next, we have Jarris Walker. He is projected to go fifth overall to the Detroit Pistons. He played one season for a very good Houston team in college. They were number one seed this past season, and they were top five in both defense and offense in the country. He likely projects as a power forward in the NBA, and he comes in at 6'8 and 285. So he's very bulky and has a lot of size. 
Uh, his averages are a bit modest because he was on a really, really good Houston team, and he was not one of the top two options on this team. But that's also a credit to him for being able to fit in um, and have an impact despite not getting the usage rate that some of the other guys have in the draft. So he averaged only 11 points a game, seven rebounds, two assists. Also, Houston is a, a very slow-paced team, so um, they're among one of the uh, lower possession total teams in the country, which is why the stats tend to be down a little bit as well for most of the players on the team. But this guy thrives on the defensive end of the court. Uh, he averaged 1.3 blocks, but he had the best block percentage among first-round picks outside of Wembenyama and Derek Lively, so he is a very, very impressive rim protector. Um, and that's it's the kind of shot-blocking rate that's something you typically really only see at a prototypical big man. But Walker is not that, which makes it even more impressive. Uh, so outside of just being an elite shot blocker, he's also an extremely versatile player on the defensive end. He was also um, among the best steal rate guys in the draft, and he was the top guy among people 6'8 or taller in the first round. So versatile, both guarding on the perimeter and uh, in the paint. Uh, he also has the type of skill set offensively that you rarely see out of someone with his shocking, shot blocking ability. Uh, he's a very respectable 38% from three-point range on decent volume with three attempts per game, and he shot 38% on all jump shots overall. And while he wasn't much of a playmaker, only 1.8 assists per game, he also takes care of the ball. He had a pretty respectable assist-to-turnover ratio, especially for a guy who's not handling the ball as much. Uh, and that's just a really good number for a non-ball handler at 1.2 for assist-to-turnover ratio, especially for someone at his size. And he's shown flashes that he's capable of playmaking to a certain extent. Um, he's also very strong uh, from a rebounding perspective. He's right on par with the leaders and rebound rate among the first-round prospects. He's also a phenomenal athlete. He has a great feel for the game, good basketball IQ. And he didn't come out of nowhere. He was a top eight recruit uh, coming out of high school into this season. And he's still only 19 years old with a lot of room to grow. Uh, possibly his biggest concern is his shooting. He showed he was capable of shooting from outside with a respectable three-point percentage on decent volume. But he was only 66% from the free throw line, which isn't great for projecting his shot into the pros. Um so we'll see how his shot translates. He certainly showed he can make shots out there, but he didn't do it at a super consistent uh, rate. And so I wouldn't be surprised if he's not a good shooter right away. And like I said, he showed flashes of playmaking, um, but he has not done that super consistently either. But other than that, there's really not a ton of cons for this guy. I think given his defensive ability, his size, and his NBA-ready body, his flashes as a shooter and playmaker... Um, not only will he be able to come overcome those weaknesses, but I think he could be an instant contributor to a winning situation. So with that, I think he will be a very solid role player. Um, I strongly considered even having him as an all-star, and I think he could get there if he develops in the right way. But the slight concerns with the outside shot and the shot creation for himself concern me a, a little bit. So I do really, really like Jairus Walker. He's one of my favorite players in the draft. And I think he could have an instant impact on a winning situation right away. Up next at number seven, we have Taylor Hendricks. 
He is a 6'9 power forward. He was a one-and-done player uh, from University of Central Florida. Average 15-7 and seven on 48% from the field, 39% from three, 78% from the line. And he was really impressive as a shooter, especially at his size at 6'9". Like I said, he was 39% from three, and that was on almost five attempts per game. He was also pretty good for a big man from the free throw line at 78%, so that shot seems like it's at least somewhat translatable to the next level. He averaged 1.7 blocks per game, so he definitely showed that he is a good rim protector as well. But I do think there are a lot of questions uh, regarding Hendricks. While he was fine as a rim protector, he's not the most versatile player when it comes on to the defensive side of the ball, so I worry about him potentially getting picked on on defense by smaller guards when he has to get switched on to guarding guys on the perimeter. He was also not super efficient in the paint. He shot below 50% on layups this past season, so that's obviously not a very good sign for a guy that's 6'9". He also didn't come into college very highly touted, uh, and his team wasn't very good as well. So I have real questions about if his contributions were as meaningful or impactful as some of the other top guys playing on some better teams or in better conferences. He's also not the most athletic guy in general, and he basically had a dead-even assist-to-turnover ratio, so not much evidence of him being any sort of playmaker. Um, And for his size, he didn't necessarily dominate the boards with only seven a game, uh, even though he was 6'9". I think Hendricks and Jairus Walker will get compared a lot as the two of the larger wings going into in the lottery. But to me, Walker checks a lot more boxes in terms of defensive versatility, athleticism, length, playmaking potential, uh, a longer track record of being good, impact on winning. And he also has 40 pounds on Hendricks. So Hendricks is pretty frail for his size. So I don't see a lot of things that are convincing me that Hendricks won't just turn into like a Jamichael Green type of player, like a guy with size that can shoot, but he just doesn't really do much else. Um, I think the size and shooting is enough to justify taking him in the first round, but given where he's being drafted uh, in the top 10, I am going to go ahead and say that I think Hendricks is going to be a bust. Next at number eight, we have Anthony Black who is projected to go to the Wizards. This is a 19-year-old wing that played one season at Arkansas. He's got good size at six foot seven. He averaged 13 points, uh, five rebounds, four assists. Uh, Black does a lot of things really well. He was very impressive on the defensive end this past season. Uh, That's one of his biggest strengths. He averaged over two steals per game. He had the second-highest steal rate among the uh, first-round picks. And he had one of the highest block rates among players shorter than 6'8 as well. So he's got good size, and I think his perimeter defense is definitely going to translate to the next level. So at the very least, I think he can be a defensive stopper type player. He also was pretty impressive as a playmaker. Despite not being the lead guard on Arkansas, he still averaged four assists per game. Uh, And while he wasn't always the best at taking care of the ball, he still sported a 1.3 assist to turnover ratio, which is very respectable for a guy uh, who had the ball in his hands as much as he did. And there was only two players in the whole draft that had a higher steal rate than he did. But maybe the most impressive stat for him was his free throw rate. He gets to the line at a ridiculously high rate. I mean, he was a full 10% higher than the second highest guy in this class. Above a 50% free throw rate is absurd 
Um, and only Wembenyama took more free throw attempts among first round picks. And that was with a usage rate that was 10% higher than Anthony Black. So he clearly has a knack for getting to the free throw line. Um, but with that said, it would be nice if he shot a little bit better from the free throws line. So he only shot around 70% this past season. And his shooting overall was not great, to be honest, in his one year in college. I mean, he shot only 30% from the free uh, three-point line. He definitely does not have the best jump shot. I mean, he shot a very ugly 21% on unguarded jumpers. And as I've said before, he's a little sloppy with the ball. Uh, over three turnovers a game, despite not being the lead ball handler on the team, is not uh, super encouraging. Uh, and even though he did have a high assist rate, his high turnover rate is basically equally as high. So he was uh, among the uh, leaders in the class in both assist rate and turnover rate. But um, I think defense, playmaking, and shooting are probably the three most important skills to have in today's NBA. And Black is very good at two of those three things. Shooting and turnovers are probably his two major flaws. But I think that he's good enough at things that are important in today's NBA that he can overcome those as long as he works on them a little bit. And look, if he could shoot the ball at even an average number, I would be tempted to put him as an all-star level player. I mean, he... He's got the shot creation both for himself and for others, and he's great on the defensive end. Um, but I think he's going to be easier to guard because he can't shoot. And look, if he never learns to shoot, then he could just end up being like a better passing and ball handling version of Matisse Thibel, which isn't an awful floor to have because Thibel's not great at either of those things, but he's still able to um, hang around in the NBA and been uh, a pretty consistent rotation player, even for some good Sixers teams over the past few seasons but with that i do have black as a role player a uh, defensive stopper a secondary initiator on offense and if he can ever get his jump shot to be a little bit more consistent i think he could flirt with uh, being an all-star level player up next at number nine we've got cam whitmore a 6'7 wing out of Villanova. He played one season in college, and he is one of the youngest players in the draft. He is still only 18 years old. He averaged uh, 12.5 points per game, 5.3 rebounds on a not very good Villanova team. And look, Whitmore is very impressive physically. He might be the most athletic player in the entire draft. He can absolutely fly. He's got great size at 6'7". Uh, and he's got a really big frame at, at 235 pounds, which is super impressive considering uh, how young he is and also how athletic he is. You don't see a guy who's that built but also has the kind of hops that this guy has. He also had a really nice shot profile for the NBA level. 88% of his shots were either at the rim or from three-point range. And he has a pretty good handle for his size. He was very good as a slasher and finisher in the paint. Um, he was middle of the pack rebounder and he had one of the best steal rates among the entire draft class behind only the Thompson twins, Anthony black and Kassan Wallace. So showed a lot of defensive potential as well. And he was relatively steady with the ball, uh, pretty middle of the pack in terms of turnover rate, uh, which is good considering he had the ball in his hands quite a bit at Villanova. And while he wasn't consistent, he did show some potential as a shooter. He shot 34% from three on some decent volume, um, though you would have liked to see him be a little bit better at the free throw line at only 70%. So there's definitely not guarantees that his shot is going to translate to the next level. 
But Cam Wentmore has one extremely alarming weakness in his game, and that is playmaking for others. He was a complete black hole in his one season at Villanova. Saying that Whitmore is not a playmaker is an understatement. I mean, he averaged under one assist per game. Uh, and that's even worse when you consider he had a usage rate above 25%. He had a lower assist rate than only one other player projected to go in the first round. Uh, and <laughs> he's lower than most of the other big men on this list. So he like he was worse than Derek Lively from a playmaking perspective. He had the second worst assist to turnover ratio in the entire first round. Uh, the only one he was ahead of was a seven foot international player who averaged three points a game. His <laughs> ratio was at 0.4, which is just awful. So, yeah, it's concerning. It's concerning. <laughs> Outside of that, I would have liked to see him shoot the ball a little bit better, like I said. Um, he didn't shoot it great. He did have a thumb injury on his shooting hand to start the season, so it's hard to say if that affected him at all. But he was not consistent from three-point range, and that even dates back to his high school years. He was never really a great shooter. So I'd like, I'd also like to see him get to the free-throw line a little bit more, uh, which, considering his playing style, it's a little surprising he didn't get there a little bit more frequently. But I've gone back and forth a lot on Whitmore. On one hand, he projects as a pretty good defender, He's a physical specimen and freak athlete. He plays a premium position in the NBA, and he takes care of the ball pretty well, um, and he was very impressive getting downhill and going to the basket. However, his biggest weakness was extremely glaring, and it's not just bad. It's like worst in the entire draft class bad. And it's one of the most important skills to have in the NBA, especially if you want to be a winning, impactful player. So with that said, I really like his physical tools and the fact that he's still so young, I think bodes well for him as a project. And we've seen examples of guys like this end up being good, like Jalen Brown, for example, but I just can't get over how bad of a playmaker he is. He can be bad there, but it is like atrociously bad. And I just think his red flags are a little too red for my liking. So with this, I do have him as a bust but this is one of the ones that I am very prepared to be wrong on because I do think he's got a ton of potential. And if he could even get his assisted turnover ratio to an average level, then I think he's going to turn out to be a really, really nice player. But we just have not seen him be able to get even close to that so far. So uh, I do have bust for Cam Whitmore. Up next at number 10, we have Derek Lively projected to go number 10 overall to the Dallas Mavericks. I really like Lively. He's one of my favorite players uh, in the lottery. He's the only seven-footer projected to go in the lottery outside of Wembenyama, and he stands at seven foot one inch. A little bit on the skinnier side at 215 pounds. Uh, he did come into Duke as a top two high school recruit, but he got injured at the beginning of the year, so he definitely had a slow start to his season, which overall definitely affected his stats. He only averaged five points and five rebounds per game, but in February and March when he started to get some more consistent playing time, he was up close to around seven and a half rebounds and seven points per game. So still nothing phenomenal, um, but he had a very low usage rate and wasn't getting consistent minutes even when he was playing a little bit more at the end of the season. But he was one of the most efficient players in college basketball last season. He shot 66% from the field. Most of his shots came on dunks or very close layups. 
though he did actually attempt double-digit three-pointers, and he even made two on the season. I know it's often hard to trust those workout videos that we see of guys like Ben Simmons every year, but I did see some footage that showed Lively working on his shot, and he was making them pretty consistently. Um, and he actually did shoot the ball outside a little bit in high school. So I'm not projecting him as a three-point shooter right now. That's not what I'm saying. But it's nice to see that there's at least some potential there. With uh, Whereas with other of these big guys, it's like the shot looks broken. And it, there's just no chance of them ever being a stretch big. But despite his low rebounding averages, most of that was just due in part to him only playing 20 minutes per game and having a very low usage rate. Um, he did have the second best rebounding rate among all the college prospects in this draft. Uh, so when he played more and got more minutes, he was definitely a rebounding machine. Um, but by far, his best asset in this draft is as a shot blocker. Despite only playing 20 minutes per game, he still averaged two and a half blocks per game. And towards the end of the season, that number was even higher as he averaged four blocks per game in the NCAA tournament. Um. I couldn't find certain advanced stats for some of the non-collegiate players, so when Benyama is not included on this, but Lively was first in block rates among everybody else in the draft, and by a lot, he doubled up the second highest player from a block rate perspective, so he's just on another level as a rim protector, and I actually think one underrated thing about Lively is that he actually showed a little bit of some playmaking flashes. Typically, big men in the rim running role, especially at the college level, they don't have any sort of playmaking ability. Um, but he actually averaged over one assist per game, uh, and that's even with the limited playing time, which is still more than Cam Whitmore. <laughs> uh, he had one of the best assist to turnover ratios in the whole class, easily uh, the best among all of the other big men in the class at close to 1.6. And while I doubt he ever turns into a great playmaker, he did show enough flashes to think that he should be able to um, successfully and effectively pass out to open shooters when he gets the ball inside. Um, and he also doesn't get caught in the paint turning the ball over very often. Obviously, Lively will have a very distinct role in the NBA. So while he has cons compared to every player, <laughs> they're kind of they're the kind of cons that you live with for somebody that's a rim running big. So obviously, he's not really a shooter. He doesn't handle the ball very much. Um, no one's going to expect him to do those things, though. And as far as being uh, a big man, probably the things he could work on the most are his post moves. So he wasn't phenomenal with his back to the basket. Uh, wasn't great at creating his own shot when he got the ball on the block. And his, his touch seemed to get significantly worse the further away he got from the basket. But with all that said, I think it's very obvious what his role will be in the NBA as a rim-running big man that is a rim protector as well. But I think he's going to be phenomenal in that role. Um, rim protection is a premium in the NBA, um, and this guy is as good as it gets in terms of that, uh, doing that as a prospect coming into the league. Plus, he's barely 19, has a ton of room to grow in other areas, uh, and he was a top-two prospect for a reason. This guy dominated the high school level, and... Once he got up to speed a bit at the collegiate level, he started to dominate, at least defensively as well. But I think within a few years, he could be a very impactful player on the winning team as a role player. So with that, I will say that Derek Lively will be a role player at the NBA level. Next, we have Grady Dick uh, going number 11 to the Orlando Magic. So he is a 6'7 wing out of Kansas, played one season as a one-and-done under Bill Self. 
and he performed very well uh, for a very good Kansas team as a freshman. He averaged 14 points, 5 rebounds. Grady Dick's best attribute is very clearly his shooting ability. He shot slightly above 40% from three-point range on a very high volume of 5.7 attempts per game. He was also really good at the free throw line at 85%. Um, he was expected to come in and be a three-point specialist, and he definitely did exactly that. His shot should easily translate to the next level, and I expect to do this to do so. But he was more than just a shooter at Kansas. I mean, he was a very good offensive rebounder for his position as well. While he wasn't much of a playmaker, he had a respectable assist-to-turnover ratio, and his turnover rate was actually among the lowest in the entire class, so he takes care of the ball and makes good decisions. He was also pretty solid on the defensive end. He had one of the better steal rates in the class and averaged nearly 1.5 steals per game. He was also clearly a contributor on a very, very good team, which to me does matter a little bit that he impacted winning. So he's not exactly the best shot creator for others. He had quite a low assist rate. He's actually lower than Derek Lively, for example. Um, but he was a bit better at creating for himself than maybe you would have expected. So I don't think he will necessarily be a defensive stopper of sorts, but I am interested to see how he holds up on that end of the court because he was plenty good enough in college there. But ultimately, Dick has a relatively high floor just because of his shooting ability at his size. Um, at 19 years old, he should have plenty of time to improve in every other aspect of his game. But hey, if he shoots 40% from three consistently at the next level, then I have a hard time believing that he won't find playing time on an NBA roster. So with that, I believe he will be a very solid role player uh, and a guy that everyone would love to plug in with some star players on a good team. Up next at number 12, we have Bilal Koulibaly, who is projected to go to the Oklahoma City Thunder. He was actually a teammate of Wembenyama on uh, Metropolitan's 92. He is a 6'8 wing that is uh, about to be 19, so one of the younger players in the draft, still at 18 years old. Uh, and he didn't play big minutes on this team, only 24 a game, but he averaged 11-4 and, and did shoot above 50% from the field. Um, cool Bali has a seven, two wingspan, uh, so very long player. And he emerged as his team's best, uh, perimeter defender as the season went on. Uh, he was at about two stocks per game and showed a ton of versatility on the wing. He showed some semblance of shooting touch, shooting 34% from three on two attempts per game. Um, but he was also quite efficient from two point range. He was 60% from inside the arc, which is a really good number. Uh, he always found ways to contribute on offense, even when he was uh, not super involved. He's obviously not a big-time shooter and did not have a super long leash when it came to offensive creation. Uh, but he was great moving without the ball as well. He was not everly overly involved offensively, but was very efficient with the chances he did get, especially on a lower usage rate uh, among lottery prospects and had a true shooting percentage above 60, which is uh, very impressive. Unfortunately, he didn't show a ton of upside on the offensive end outside of being a good cutter and mover without the ball. Uh, he was not very consistent shooting the ball either, um, and he was a below-average free-throw shooter uh, at about 70%, so I don't really think that his shot is going to translate too well to the next level. And he also just didn't prove to be much of a playmaker. He had more turnovers than assists on the season, so outside of... Uh, cutting to the basket and being in the right spots. He wasn't able to provide a ton of impact offensively. 
And so I struggle to find a major way for him to contribute on that end of the ball. Um, unless he can consistently develop a three-point shot, I have major concerns on his impact on that side of the court. I think he can be a good defender at the next level, but I wonder if that is going to be enough for him to get playing time. But because of that, even if he does hit as a decent player, I think his role is really just going to be nothing more than a role player. I don't really see any star potential out of this guy. Uh, but for the purpose of this, I will mark him as a bust uh, just because I don't see much growth from him offensively coming in the near future. Up next at pick number 13, we have Kobe Bufkin going to the Toronto Raptors. He was one of the rare non-one-and-done players in this draft. We have a lot of young guys in this draft in particular, but he spent two years at Michigan. He was a 6'5 combo guard. Uh, he's still extremely young for someone who spent two years in college, though. He's currently only 19 years old, which is younger than <laughs> Brandon Miller, for example, who is a one-and-done. But he averaged 14, 5, and 3. Uh, and he was pretty solid across the board at most things. I mean, he shot the ball at a respectable efficiency from 336% on almost four attempts. He was 85% from the free throw line, which likely means his shot will translate to the next level. He had a very solid assist to turnover ratio as well at 1.5. Showed some legitimate flashes as a playmaker, despite not being the lead guard for Michigan this past season. He did have one of the better assist rates in the first round among prospects. And he was pretty middle of the pack in terms of his steal rate, so uh, nothing to be too concerned about on that end of the ball. He was also impressive taking the ball to the basket, uh, was very efficient inside of the three-point arc at 55%, and really showed some great uh, creativity finishing over bigger defenders. Overall, Bufkin doesn't have a ton of red flags, but I think he might be a little undersized for a two-guard. I think he's... I think 6'5 is generous. I've also seen him listed at 6'4 some places. Depends where you look. But he's not really a true point guard. He's more of a combo guard, and he's really frail. I mean, he's only 185 pounds. So because of that, he might get picked on a bit defensively. Of course, unless he can put on a little bit of extra weight. But um, per perhaps his biggest con is just that he's not really a lead at anything. He's a, he's a pretty good shooter, pretty good playmaker, pretty good scorer, pretty good... Um, Finisher at the basket. He was a pretty good defender in college. But he doesn't stand out in any of those areas particularly. So to me, I would like to see him stand out in at least one of those areas where I can say I know he will excel at this. And I'm not sure I see that right now necessarily. I think he could shoot, slash, finish, pass, and defend at a rotation level in the NBA. Um, I also think he could benefit from bulking up a little bit. I'd probably be a little less concerned with him if he was 6'6 or something. Uh, and then I think he might have some star potential. But my uncertainty in his body type paired with his very well-rounded game. Overall, I do think he will be a role player in the NBA as a nice combo guard. And rounding out the lottery, I have Kassan Wallace projected to go 14th to the New Orleans Pelicans. So... He came in as the number eight overall recruit as a freshman on Kentucky. And he projects as a combo guard standing at uh, 6'4". Again, that might be generous. I've seen 6'2 as well, but I saw 6'4 multiple places. So I'm going to assume that's where he's at now. He averaged 12 points, four rebounds, four assists. And Wallace is one of the 
best perimeter defenders in the entire draft. He averaged two steals per game. He had the highest steal rate of anybody in the entire first round. He was very efficient inside the arc at 51%, despite being a bit undersized. Was very comfortable shooting in the mid-range. Operated in that uh, uh, part of the court a ton during the season. He showed some shooting potential at 35% from three on four attempts per game, so pretty good volume, and shot 76% from the line. So some potentially projectable three-point shooting there as well. He also really thrived as a playmaker for others, despite not being the main guard uh, for Kentucky all year, as they had a severe wheeler for uh, a good portion of the year as well. He had the best assist-to-turnover ratio of anybody in the first round. It was above two which is a super impressive number. He also had the second highest assist rate behind only Scoot Henderson. He also had the lowest usage rate among non-big men for anybody projected to go in the first round. And we've seen this in the past from guards like uh, at Kentucky who have put up some pretty modest stats overall because their usage was a bit lower, but then they end up thriving in the NBA. We've seen examples such as SGA, Tyrese Maxey, Devin Booker, among others. So, but with all that, Wallace did look a bit more comfortable shooting in the mid range than he did from three point range. So, his thirty five percent from there wasn't phenomenal. You'd like to see him improve uh, as a long range shooter a little bit. He also did not get to the super, uh, free throw line super often, and at six four, he is a bit undersized to be a two guard. But he doesn't quite have the elite handle that might be required to play point guard in the NBA. He also doesn't quite have the quickest first step when driving to the basket. But overall, I really like Kassan Wallace. Uh, He has elite defensive ability. um, And I think he'll, at the minimum, cut out some sort of role for himself in the NBA in his worst case. How good he is, it'll be contingent on his offensive development. He's already checked a lot of boxes, uh, or at least shown potential on that end to make me very optimistic there. He's been an impressive scorer inside the arc while showing potential from outside of it. And despite being a combo guard of sorts, he was very impressive as a ball handler and playmaker overall. So because of that, I actually do have Wallace uh, developing into an all-star. And I don't think he'll be necessarily one of those first option guys, but I could really see him being a Drew Holiday type uh, or even like a fringe all-star guy like peak um, Fred Van Vliet. But I really like him. I think he was underutilized at Kentucky, and I could see him developing into a elite defensive player with just enough offense to put him at that all-star level. So that will wrap up the lottery. In total, I've got six busts, those being Brandon Miller, the two Thompson twins, Taylor Hendricks, Cam Whitmore, and Bilal Koulibaly. I've got five players that I think will be very solid role players, those being Jarris Walker, Anthony Black, Derek Lively, Grady Dick, and Kobe Bufkin. And then I think this might be a lighter all-star class. Um, typically, it's around four, but I only picked three between Wembenyama, Scoot Henderson, and Kassan Wallace. But I do have a number of players outside of the lottery that I also really like. And so I'm going to go through those now. And I think some of these guys could potentially turn to all-stars down the road as well. So I'm going to start off with my absolute favorite player in the entire draft. And that is Brandon Podzemski. Probably haven't heard of him. (laughs) He's projected to go maybe at highest in the 15 range, but maybe towards the back end of the first round. But he is a 6'5 guard out of Santa Clara. Uh, he's 20 years old and spent uh, one season at Illinois uh, before transferring to Santa Clara for his sophomore season. 
and he was a top 80 recruit coming out of high school. So while he didn't play in the best conference in the, in the country, given that it was Santa Clara, uh, he did have really impressive stats. He averaged almost 20 points per game, almost nine rebounds a game, and four assists per game. And pods, as I've heard people call him, and I'll refer to him as that, but I think he has a ton of pros. Uh, but his greatest one has got to be his shooting. I mean, he's one of the best shooters in the whole draft. He shot a very staggering 44% from three-point range on almost six attempts per game last season. Uh, that's the highest among all the projected first-round picks. And his free throw percentage was 77%, which suggests that uh, at least somewhat it should translate to the next level. I'm not saying he's going to shoot 45%, be the best shooter in the NBA, but uh, it's not like he had a concerningly low free throw percentage, and so I'm going to buy that 44% for the most part. Uh, and while he did predominantly shoot the ball off of catch and shoots, he did show some ability to hit it off the movement coming off screens as well. But he is not just a three-point shooter. He has a very polished floater and teardrop uh, when he gets into the paint as well, which is a super important uh, aspect of your game to have when you're not an elite athlete like he is not. He also had one of the highest free throw rates among anyone in the first round. He was above 31%, and he took four and a half uh, free throw attempts per game. And this is even more impressive when you're considering that roughly 40% of his shots are coming from beyond the arc. So that means only 60 inside the arc, and he's still getting fouled a ton uh, when he has the ball. So He also showed significant flashes as a playmaker despite uh, playing predominantly as an off guard. He was near the top among first-round picks in terms of assist-to-turnover ratio as well as being in the top five of assist rate, and that was only while being in the middle of the pack of the turnover rate. He's also an extremely elite rebounder for his size, averaging nearly nine per game and in the top ten in rebound rate uh, among first-round prospects, and that is despite uh, being no taller than 6'5". Defensively, while he was not necessarily the best athlete uh, he was among the best at forcing turnovers. He averaged nearly two steals per game and was near the top among first-round projected uh, prospects in steals rate. Additionally, all the advanced stats absolutely love him. He had the highest PER of anyone in the first round. He was near the top in terms of win shares per 48, offensive rating, true shooting percentage, and he did all of this with a very, very high usage rate as well. In terms of cons... Um, there aren't many. Uh, he could be a little better finishing at the basket, uh, but most of his cons are the lazy white guy uh, <laughs> prototypical cons of he's not a great athlete. He struggles creating uh, advantages off the dribble. He can't always stay in front of uh, quicker guys. But to me, he fits into the category of player that people tend to say have an NBA-ready skill set but don't have much upside, and to me that's just silly. He checks nearly every single box except for having above-average athleticism, but he's been able to get by just fine. And I know he didn't play against necessarily the best competition, but he went to Santa Clara, which we just had a player in last year's lottery, Jalen Williams, who went to Santa Clara as well. And they he finished top three in the Rookie of the Year voting. And no, I am not picking him because he also went to Santa Clara. That's not why I'm doing it. But I think it just shows that he can still thrive uh, coming into the league despite 
playing for a lesser conference and a lesser team. But I also want to say they lost Jalen Williams and two other seniors, and they still had a better record than they did last year. So this guy's a winner, and his impact goes way further than just being a good three-point shooter. So I love Pods. I think he is going to be maybe the best, biggest steal of the draft going in the 20s. And I think any team would be lucky to have him. I think he's going to be able to contribute pretty quickly as a shooter, but not just as a shooter, as a uh, decent defender and a guy who can create his own shot for himself and others a little bit. The next guy I want to touch on is Leonard Miller. He played for the G League Ignite team alongside Scoot Henderson this season. He's a 6'10 forward. He just put quite plainly, this guy just produced at a really high level. He averaged 17 and 10 on 54%, and that was in under 30 minutes per game. He rebounded at an extremely elite level. He had the best rebound rate among anyone in the class. He was extremely efficient inside the arc. He shot 60% from two-point range and 63% uh, true shooting. And that was highest among any player that had legitimate volume outside of the paint. So excluding some of the big men. Um, And although his three-point shot did not look great, uh, he shot almost 80% from the free throw line, which shows some translation ability to at least a somewhat workable jump shot. And he's extremely athletic. He has a 7-2 wingspan. And he even showed some promise with his ball skills and as a playmaker. Uh, So given how he performed against professional players and the efficiency when he did play, I don't quite get why he isn't higher. And I don't get why he's not a consensus lottery pick. I mean, the guy put up 17 and 10 in the exact same league that Scoot Henderson did and arguably looked (laughs) better doing it. I mean, he was way more efficient. Um, averaged the same amount of points, was an elite rebounder in in the league. So I know his shot is not phenomenal right now, but he's still 19, and he showed a ton of promise as a versatile big man. So uh, I'm very high on Miller as well. Next guy is Jaime Jaquez Jr. And I know this has become a pretty popular pick among the media recently, but I've definitely been a fan of his for uh, a few months now. But he's a 6'7 wing out of UCLA. Uh, he's really the only senior that seems like they even have a somewhat legitimate shot to go in the first round, and he is 22 years old. Hawkes isn't necessarily a lead at anything, but he kind of does it all. I mean, he scored at a very high level for a very, very good UCLA team, 18 points per game. He also rebounds very well for his size at eight, eight rebounds a game, and he had one of the best rebound rates among the first-round prospects. He was not super consistent from the three-point line. He shot only 32% last year, but he showed he's certainly capable from there. Uh, for example, as a sophomore, he did shoot 39% uh, from the three-point line, and that was the year that UCLA made their Final Four run. Playmaking isn't necessarily his strength, but he is at least competent at it for his position, uh, especially considering he was playing predominantly power forward. He didn't get a ton of opportunities to do that. But he certainly is willing and able to keep the ball moving in the flow of the offense. Uh, he is particularly good at taking care of the ball as well. He had one of the lowest turnover rates among first-round prospects. And defensively, while he's not the most athletic, he is still very solid. He had the uh, second-lowest defensive rating among first-round prospects um, in this draft. Also, similarly to Podzemski, the advanced stats love him. He was top of the entire class in PER uh, and win shares per 48. And he's just a winner. I think he'll be able to bring a really good culture to any team he goes to. And I think sometimes 
we have these class of players that were really good in college, but we convince ourselves that, oh, well, that's college. He doesn't translate, blah, blah, blah. But to, uh, and there are plenty. There are plenty of examples of that. Luca Garza, for example, is end of a bench G League guy, but it was so dominant in college. But there's also for every one of those, there's also an example of a guy like Jalen Brunson who won Player of the Year, but no one thought he should be worth a first round pick. And then he comes in and he just keeps playing like he's been playing, and he's really good. So I'm not saying Hakez will be as good as Brunson. I do not think that, but I think he could be a very very solid role player for any team. Um, that takes a flyer on him. And since he's a little older, I think he particularly could help a contender uh, sooner rather than later. The next guy was Hawkes's teammate. This is Amari Bailey, another UCLA guy. He's a 6'4 shooting guard, a former top 10 high school recruit uh, that turned into a one and done. So he didn't have super pop off the screen stats, but that was largely due in part to the fact that he was on a extremely good UCLA team with two very good seniors that had been uh, on Final Four runs in the past. So his role was a little diminished from what it could have been had he gone to another school. But he averaged 11 points, four rebounds, two assists. He shot very well from three-point range. He was 39%, though it was relatively low volume at under two attempts per game. Um, But he did shoot under 70% from the free throw line as well, which is a little concerning when paired with the low volume from three. Um, but he did shoot well from mid-range, so that alleviates a bit of my concern uh, that come from the free throw percentage. He also graded extremely high in terms of field goal percentage at the rim. He showed some really nice ability to finish over bigger defenders considering he is on the smaller side. And he was efficient overall inside the arc at 52% from two, uh, which is even better when you think about the fact that he did shoot a, a good, healthy dose of mid-range shots. Defensively, he was very solid. He was near the top in terms of steals rate among first-round prospects, and he also played big minutes on UCLA, who was one of the best, uh, if not the best, defensive team in the entire country. But overall, he's a high IQ player with good composure when handling the ball. The biggest concerns are that he did have a negative assist-to-turnover ratio um, and would be well-served working on his game as a playmaker for others a little bit, especially uh, given his smaller size. And he may be a little undersized as a full-time two-guard, but that is the type of game he plays, so he'll probably be best suited for that um, at the next level, even though he's a little small for it. But we've seen guys like Tyrex Maxey be able to do it. And honestly, he's one of those guys where when you compare him to like a Keontae George, for example, George is going middle of the first round borderline lottery, and Amari Bailey is going in the second round for most people's mock drafts. But I don't really get why both of them were top 10 prospects coming out of high school, so they've got some level of uh, sustained pedigree. Both of them had very solid freshman years, not perfect freshman years, but solid freshman years, and they were on good winning teams. So they played in their role for good teams, but for some reason one of them is going borderline lottery and one of them is going second round pick. So I think that... Bailey is a uh, nice player to take a flyer on early in the second round or even late in the first round if you want a guy that could potentially pop. Um, it, he certainly has the talent to do so in the uh, pedigree. And then the last player I'm going to touch on here is Marcus Sasser. So he is one of the oldest players in the draft at 22 and soon to be 23 years old. He's a 6'2 point guard out of Houston, and he was a four-year player Um, part of their Final Four team, and played for some extremely good Houston teams. Uh, 
Um, he was the go-to scorer on one of the best teams in the country last year, 17 points per game. And that's even more impressive when you consider how slow of a pace Houston plays. Uh, so if they played a little faster, that scoring could have been well above 20 points per game. He hasn't been the most efficient player throughout his career. He was 44% from the field last year, and that was his best by a good margin, uh, excluding the uh, season a, a year ago where he got hurt after 12 or so games. But a lot of that has to do with the fact that he takes nearly double the amount of three-pointers compared to two-pointers uh, in his career. For his career at Houston, he was seven three-point attempts per game and four two-point attempts per game. So, I mean, if you're shooting in the high 30s, which is good for three, um, but <laughs> that's the shot you're taking two-thirds of the time, then, of course, your overall field goal percentage is going to be a little bit lower. So there's a little context there, even though it is um, his field goal percentages don't look the best. But he also shot 85% from the free throw line, which means his shot should translate well. I think he's actually one of the better shooters in this draft. And other than that, he grades out really well at almost everything else. Uh, he had one of the best assisted turnover ratios in the draft. It was just below two and a very, very low turnover rate, especially for a guard. He is also up there in terms of assist rate among some of the best in the draft. And he's a uh, he's phenomenal getting to the free throw line as he was only a f there were only a few first round uh, prospects that had better free throw rates than he did. And then defensively, this guy is a dog. I mean, he had one of the lowest defensive ratings among players in the draft, uh, one of the best steal rates among players in the draft and averaged nearly two uh, steals per game. And he averaged more steals per game than fouls per game, which is really difficult to do and really impressive. Clearly, he's extremely good at uh, defending without fouling and also really good at forcing turnovers. Um, and he was part of a Houston team that was top five in the nation defensively, and he was a huge, huge part of that. So overall, uh, he is your prototypical 3 and D point guard. He shot the ball extremely well. He defends at a very high level. And he makes really good decisions and takes care of the ball. So I think that his age will scare a lot of teams off considering he's 23. Very soon he'll be 23. But I think that that kind of thing gets way overblown. There's not evidence to say that if you're younger, you'll end up being better than an older player, for example. So obviously the younger guys have more time to develop. But I think Sasser kind of is what he is. But what he is is going to be a really, really high-level role player and the exact kind of 3 and D guard that any team could use. So I don't see him being necessarily a starting player in the NBA, but a really, really solid backup. Uh, and I think he'd be a really nice get for any team early in the second round of this draft. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Sean Jones NBA show. This was my draft preview. Sorry, this one was a little long, but just a lot of content to get through almost 20 plus prospects. Um, but very excited to watch the draft. By the time you listen to this, it'll be draft day. Um, but I'm sure there will be a lot of shakeups. It probably won't go perfectly as the mock draft I had, but I feel pretty good overall about my evaluation for most of these guys. I did pretty well on this exercise last year from what we've seen so far, um, but I'm super excited to see the draft, super excited to see some more deals that go down uh, tomorrow, not only tomorrow, but over the next few weeks. Uh, and I'll be doing a draft recap, winners, losers, and react to any deals that we do get in a podcast probably coming up next week. But thanks so much for listening, and I will chat with you soon. Thank you.